What's up, my little mistakers and new listeners? You're tuned in to the Humor in Mistakes podcast, where each week we have a guest come in and talk about past mistakes. I'm Donovan McNeil. And I'm Andrew Gleason. And we find mistakes hilarious. But human. We think we can learn a thing or two. So join us on our journey as two upcoming comedians who make mistakes. Take a listen, have a laugh, and go make a mistake. Little mistakers, we just want to apologize for two late episodes in a row. The past two episodes have come out on Tuesday instead of Monday. Andrew and I just started a YouTube channel. You should go check it out. And I was in the process of interviewing for a new job in D.C., But to be honest, we've been waiting till the last minute to edit episodes, and it finally caught up to us. When I say last minute, I'm talking about at 4.50, we were still editing the episode for a 5 p.m. release. So that's on us. So here's what's going to happen. We are changing the episode time from Mondays at 5 p.m. till Mondays at 7 a.m. That way the episodes will be done by Sunday and you'll be able to start out your week. Start out your Monday morning hearing our voice. Time to admit another mistake. Yeah, Andrew and I have been messing up. Since I moved to DC, Andrew and I have been recording by me driving to North Carolina. So what we wanted to do is to cut down on driving time. We wanted to start recording remote episodes so Andrew, the guest, and I don't have to be in the same location. So we interviewed the passionate other half of the Rebecca show, Rebecca Jackson artist, and the audio didn't turn out well. Andrew and I thought we tested out the remote setup, but we only tested it once and we should have tested it more than that. So the audio didn't turn out good. So what we've done for this episode is we've taken the highlights, the part of the episode that turned out well, and we put it on this episode. Now that I'm done admitting Andrew and I's fuck-ups, let's talk about our guest for this week. Our guest for this week is comedian, writer, and performer Rebecca Jackson Artist. Rebecca Jackson Artist is part of the group The Rebecca Show, who she performs with her co-star, Rebecca. They're both Rebecca's. It works. It's amazing. At first, I thought they were twins. They're not. One's white and one is black. They're not twins whatsoever but they are funny, and that's what matters. Rebecca came on the show to talk about her new sketch comedy, What If I'm the Becky? It's an original sketch comedy by the two Rebeccas. In this show, they explore moments from biblical times to today in which people realize the situations that they thought were fine are in fact not fine. The show dates are March 13th, 15th, 19th and 22nd at 7 p.m. and March 13th, 14th, 20th, and 21st at 8 p.m. What If I'm the Becky is a two-woman sketch show about cognitive dissonance and is supported by a Man Bites Dog theater grant. Rebecca Jackson, artist. Uh, She was born on the south side of Chicago, a lover of performance, comedy, and music since childhood. She holds a B.A. in theater arts performance from Hampton University. In Chicago, she was an ensemble member of Barrel of Monkeys Theater Company and worked as a teaching artist in Chicago public schools. She graduated from the Second City Conservatory and became an understudy for Chicago's Second City Main Stage. 
Well, Rebecca had a child in 2008, which inspired an interest in maternal and child health. She became a certified lactation specialist and worked in Chicago Department of Public Health and WIC, promoting breastfeeding in African-American communities throughout Chicago. In 2012, Rebecca started an African-centered school on the south side of Chicago. Next, in 2014, she moved with her family from Chicago to Raleigh, but afterwards she started realizing that she wanted to return to acting, writing, and comedy. In 2018, Rebecca wrote, produced, and starred in a short comedic film, In the Mist of Morons, directed by Dre Robertson. After that film, Dre and Rebecca began a web series called Totally Becky, which screened in eight film festivals, garnering nominations for two awards and winning Best Web Series at 2018 Middle Coast Film Festival. Little Mistakers, we learned a lot from Rebecca this episode, and we hope you do too. What's up, my Little Mistakers? Welcome to the Humor in Mistakes podcast. I'm here with Rebecca Jackson Artis. How you doing, Rebecca? I'm doing well. What about you? I'm doing amazing. <laughs> um, I have a problem with you. Uh, oh, I, Lord. I, yep, let's get it started right off the bat. Um, okay. I asked, uh, I asked Rebecca Fox, who was the other Rebecca, and she said she didn't know. Um, and then I just, I just used her as the other Rebecca in my last sentence, and you didn't correct me. So I need to know who is the other Rebecca. Okay, so... I'm assuming I'm the other Rebecca. Is that is that correct? I don't know. Well, it, well, Rebecca Fox and I, um, I think we consider ourselves the only Rebeccas <laughs> in the world. But we, but we actually we created Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca is more of a noun uh, and not a proper noun. Uh, we, you know, we we feel like if you're a Rebecca, you are. You, you got you got your stuff together, you know. You you don't let people spew microaggressions at you. You uh you you know you, you actually put things in your calendar and check your calendar the night before for the next day. <laughs> Those are Rebecca's, you know. And so you know, I guess I would say the other Rebecca. Uh, well, if I'm the other Rebecca, uh, I love being black. I, I love my blackness to actually I'm, I'm I'm a little obsessed with my blackness. Um, and As you should Rebecca, be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, and and I I just love it. And and I've gotten the older I get, the more I fall in love with just everything about me, my strengths, my weaknesses, my blackness, my womanness. Um, and I would say the other Rebecca, if it's Rebecca Fox. You know, let me talk about her. Like, I, I would have to say she is the most out of, and I only have, I have to tell you, I only have a few close white friends. And, and, and that's that's strategic because growing up I had a lot of white friends. And I didn't realize how much, how much microaggressions I felt growing up. You know, it was just so... It was just, it was commonplace, right? It was commonplace to the point you're like, oh, well, this is life. 
And then when I went to a black school, I went to a black uh, college. I went to black university, HBCU, Hampton University, rock the blue and white. Um, when I went and I started to realize, I'm like, what? I didn't realize that at how many how many times I had been marginalized and had microaggressions. So that so that's why I was very I'm very selective about calling white people my friends because and so when I met Rebecca and we got to know each other, I can tell you she is the most loving, the most honest, the most passionate, the most white aware, the most just how can I say it the most working on herself white person I've ever known literally and I love her and she is probably the only white person that I can tell you I can sit next to and I don't ever feel like I don't ever have to dilute my blackness at any point and that's what I love about Rebecca Fox it's crazy that you mentioned diluting your blackness and uh, microaggressions as you're going up. Uh, I, Andrew and I have had this talk, and I told him, like, after I went to college, I realized um, how much people just tolerated me growing up. Like, I, I think I was in your same position having a lot of white friends, and how much, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say they were my, they people tolerated me. Uh, their friends and family tolerated me. So after college, I had kind of an identity crisis, Cause I did, I started to realize how many times I was asked to tone down my blackness to be mm-hmm. their friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. In in particular, they invited me. So in Salisbury, they have like this, uh, they have this baseball league every summer, and it's it's white people, uh, white people's. Uh, they they love it basically it's the town thing everybody comes out right you're the man Mm -hmm. if you get to go to this baseball game and uh, I go and baseball is boring as shit let's just be honest oh lord have mercy (laughs) but 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 don't let don't let the spirit of my father hear you say that he will come out of the grave and and smack you so we we just gonna make it quiet enough Okay. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, and let me I get you, every year he would take me to a Cubs game and I would just be like, I have no idea why the hell I am spending five hours in a Cubs game. Um, that's five hours, multiple times <laughs> in my life. I will never get back. But anyway, what, go ahead. What are we doing? They're standing there swinging at a ball. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, yeah. And, and and you know what's worse? You know, I'm sorry. What you know what's worse is listening to baseball on the radio. Oh my god! My dad would make us make me on Sunday mornings when we'd have our Sunday morning drives. Listen to baseball on the radio. Lord have mercy. And he and all you would hear is go. You would hear swing and a miss. And he's coming up to bat, <laughs> swing and a miss. It's like, what the? Anyway, so go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go oh, no, no worries. Uh, so I yeah. got invited by uh, my friend's parents to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there bored. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to chill for cheer for the other team. Like, I, I was going to sit in the corner and cheer for the other team. And I didn't realize that my county was losing. So I was like, I'm just going to cheer for the mm-hmm. other team. And so then afterwards, I get a talking to, and it's like, you're a representation of us. 
you cannot be sitting there cheering. You embarrassed me today. Mm -hmm. We invited you out and you embarrassed me. And I started feeling bad. And then years later, so then I was like, all I did was cheer at a baseball game. Like I cheered. And Mm. yeah, it's it's just crazy how many times you have Mm. to tone things down. Yes, yes, and and that's and 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 again, Rebecca is one of few. Now, I do, I do have some other white friends, of course, because like I said, you know, I, I have a few. Um, but I can tell you, Rebecca is one of very few white people that I don't have to worry about her white fragility. She she has she she is so self aware, and so I mean, just her heart. Like I mean, I. I I've never in my life met a white person who is so, it's, it's just, it is so, I guess that's all I can say. She's so aware of her whiteness and she's so aware of her spirit and she is willing to, she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not there to vacuum black space. She's there to coexist and it's 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 an amazing feeling to be around a white person who is like that who knows how to coexist and you know what's crazy she doesn't work like she she it's not like she's like oh i got to coexist like she's not you know what i'm talking about like she's not like uh like working hard at coexisting she just does it you know and it's like dude you get it like you so get it you know and that's why it was so easy for me to embrace her and work on work on the show with her. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it, 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 you know, like what do they say in Godfather's? You know, it was awful. You know, I well, I, I gave her. I I met with her and I said, "You want to write a show together?" And she's like, "Yeah," but it was just like even meeting her. I was like, "I have to work with this woman." That uh, it seems like it all just came together, especially from hearing her perspective on uh, how y'all met. Y'all had both been in Chicago in the same circle, but never just yes. met each other. Never met each other. Isn't that something? And, 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 and what people don't understand is the Chicago improvisation community, although there's a lot of us, uh, we all know when each other farts. You know what I'm saying? We know when we fart. We know what it smells like. You know, we know what time it happened. And we know... You know, we, we we just know too much about each other. So for the for for us never to not even like know what like you just never even meet. That that's just really interesting. But to come all the way and be in the triangle and to be in the same space and what's so weird, I didn't even know about her and then she auditioned and as soon as she started reading the sides, I was like, oh, my gosh, this woman's talented. Like, I just I felt it. And uh, I, I knew I had to work with her. I just knew it. Mm, by the way, I was reading your website and I learned something new. Um, this is probably my black side so, showing. But uh, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. said uh, Becky is a catch all name for white women who don't get it. And growing up, mm-hmm. uh, I thought Becky meant totally something totally different. Of course, because yeah, because Rebecca applies. We're trying to, yeah, yes. I, Rebecca <laughs> and I, I think we have we're on a mission to change the uh, definition of Rebecca and the definition of Becky. 
we are on a mission to say that, you know, being a Becky, it doesn't necessarily mean you're white. You know, you can be a Becky and be black or Latinx or, you know, or Asian. Being a Becky is more about your self-awareness and what you're willing to work on and what what you're willing to keep your mind open to learning because as a African master teacher has taught me and he's my uh, mentor Dr. Kaba Hiawatha Kamene shout out to that brother in the Bronx New York uh uh what is it called boogie down Bronx maybe I'm showing my age but uh that brother he taught me the more you learn the more you learn there's more to learn and some of us are obstinate to learning more because in learning more we 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 have to be aware that we've been lied to and when we when we have to admit that we've been lied to that means we have to change and for most people change is a painful thing that no one wants to go through it's uncomfortable and they don't want to do it and that's why we have our political climate that we have today that's why we have our social climate that we have today that's why we have our financial climate that we have today it's because people refuse to learn and we'll just leave it at that we won't go any deeper but where did I come from I came from Philip and Oh, my gosh. Oh, I have. Yes, I have to shout out. Yes. Oh, I love Chicago. I was born on the south side of Chicago. Specifically, I was born at Bernard Mitchell Hospital, one of the University of Chicago hospitals on Thursday, January 12th, 1978 at 4.36 p.m. See, you weren't ready for that, Andrew. <laughs> I know the time. I have. Yes. Yes, I know. I know. Yes, I was born in Bernard Mitchell Hospital. And guess what? I almost died when I was born. So I was one of those NICU babies, you know, the neonatal intensive care unit babies. I was born with um, my nasal passages had not fully formed when I was born. And um, I don't know if you guys know this, by the way, I used to be a doula and a lactation consultant. Well, I, I still do lactation consulting every once in a while on the side but um I I worked in maternal and child health so um and I and so you know like babies are born and they have mucus and other fluids in their in their um nose and so what happened is that fluid never was allowed to escape because my nasal passages were so small because my mother took Coumadin which is a blood thinner which was pregnant with me and back in 1977 and 78 Um, they didn't know the side effects of a blood thinner while a mother was pregnant. And one is the middle of your face does not fully form. So what happened, I was born, I wasn't able to breathe, and I began to die. And my my dad was playing with me in his arms, and my mom was seeing that was... Did he have the baseball game on in the background? He probably did. That mother sucker probably did. But anyway, I love my dad. By the way, I love my dad. I, I, and I joke around. My dad was an amazing, amazing, amazing father. Um, he is now an ancestor, like I said before. Um, but yeah, no, he was playing. And then um, my mom yelled and said, something's wrong with the baby, Philip." And he was like, nothing's wrong with the baby. And then finally the nurse turned over after my mom said about three or four times. 
And she looked at me, she grabbed me, and she ran out of the room. And my mom was like, go follow that nurse. <laughs> so, um, but I was in the NICU for eight weeks. Six of those weeks, it was touch and go. I had tons of infections and all that stuff. But I, but my mother always says, she's like, it was something on that sixth week. It's like, Rebecca's like, you decided to live. And I did. And 42 years mm-hmm. later, I'm here. I wonder what it was. Like, did was I it was uh, something on TV or like, hmm. <laughs> What year like was the nurses this? The in the NICU were watching, like, all my children. You know, I love me. Back in the day, I used to yeah. love me some all my children. Oh, uh, what you know about what soaps now? What you know about soaps? You, uh, the, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are you, are you a soap opera guru? I, I Well, not a guru, but I did watch my fair share of soaps. Uh, I was a guiding light. I was a CBS soap person. Oh, see, see, yeah, no, see, I was ABC. I was, oh, you know, mm, general. Yeah, general. So you were general. Hospital, you were general. <laughs> all my children. Oh, okay. Oh, you're, oh see, mm, yeah, see, see, we we can't talk. It's too much. It's gonna be too much tension going on right now. So mm, we got. I think we got. And y'all now. stole a couple of our people. Mm-mm. What? See? Oh, yeah. See, look, look at the hate. Look at the hate right now. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I grew up on, but all my children was my mom's favorite. But yeah, I think I don't know. I don't know what happened. And I know that, you know, like Andrew was talking about how, like, um, uh, the sister was telling him about, you know, what time are you born? I think that's why I'm such a spiritual person because I, I, I love all that stuff. I love sitting with mediums and, you know, and, uh, and, and getting my birth chart. Well, I, I, let me say this. I am very aware that the universe is ridiculously powerful and we cannot negate the power of these stars and these galaxies and the energy and the black matter, the dark matter that's in the universe and the effect it has on us. And I don't know, like I... Well, see, you you call it chaos. I don't call it chaos. I call the universe is organized... Um, how can I say this? Organized confusion. I don't call it chaos. See, I see. I feel chaos is a negative word. I try to watch. I try to watch the words that I use. Um, I, I would call it beautiful disorganization. You know, or how about this? We don't. It, it's or. Or how about this? It's it's organized, but we can't. We don't know it. We don't know what that organization is, and we're learning it. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. My ancestors, my my East African ancestors understood every aspect of the universe, of the multiverse. And the reason why I say that, and it's proof, if you go to the Dogon people of Africa and you they in on their land, they have a they have a house and in that house they have masks and the masks go back centuries and the mask actually match the progression of galaxies throughout the universe and it's been scientifically proven that those the the evolution of those galaxies are accurate with the mass that their ancestors produced so the fact that they even and this was before tele um uh what is it telescopes this is before satellites this is before all that and those brothers and sisters of the Dogon people 
they were able to see in the the uh, universe things that to to this day baffles even the best uh, astrophysicists. And so that's why I know we are totally okay. So let me let me break this down to you. My view of God is uh, is a little different <clears throat> than the Eurocentric view of God. So first of all, I believe we are all God. You see what I'm saying? So this this Jewo this Judo Christian and this you know and I know I'm probably gonna like repel a lot of people, but I am not. I, I don't. I okay, great. Okay, so I feel that like we're all God collectively, right? That right now, even though Andrew, you're there, and McNeil, am I saying that correctly, McNeil? That you, yes, you are you are there. Um, that and I'm here, but we are all. We came together during this time for a reason, but because we are really one. Okay, but that's anyway, and, I, and I'm not going to get into all the metaphysical, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what I'll say is, I believe, oh, oh I shouldn't say believe, I know, because I don't, I don't, belief is so weak to me, the word. It's like what you feel in your gut. That's, that's truth. Your intuition is your third eye. Your intuition is your, is, is your God. Or, or is your higher power talking to you? Um, and so, yeah, I, I feel that this so-called name God is, is really the universe. And it's, you know, like, you know how you can say something out loud? Like, you're like, gosh, you know, I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford, you know, like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford to get, put gas in my car to get to that interview, you know? And then you're like, but you know what? I can, I can figure it out. And you have like, it's this feeling that goes with it and you get home and all of a sudden there's this check in the mail that gives you just enough money to put gas in your car to go to the interview. And I think that's because, you know, I know that's your God. Like you were able to bend the universe to your will and it's truth. So this whole thing about when you go to church and they're like, oh, you're not worthy of his grace. First of all, God is not a woman nor a man. God is what it is. You know, God, God is, is our collective thought. So when, you know, the fact that, you know, like, oh, you're not worthy of his grace. Like, I'm like, what? We're all worthy of all goodness and, 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 and wonder and amazement, you know? And so. Yeah, I, well, I, I didn't come up with it, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what she said about the universe bending to your will. I mean, it's kind of like the law of attraction. I think the more things in your life, the more things that you're doing, and if it feels like sandpaper as you're doing it, it just doesn't fit. The more things you do that it just it feels smooth. It's like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the universe. That's God telling you what to do. And the more things that you do that feel smooth and feel like this is what I'm meant to do, the more things will line up and the universe will work for you. Um, I, I just feel like the more you do things that it just feels rough and it's, it, it hurts your soul. And we know those soul soak, uh, sucking jobs, uh, hanging, being with the wrong people, uh, dating the wrong person. Um, we know it and we feel it in our heart and I feel like that's the universe saying like what are you doing that you know this isn't you you you, you know this isn't you mm-hmm. and um, yeah so I just think we're supposed to lean more towards what's us in our true core 
Um, and I think you get rewarded for that. Um, everybody has their own individual heaven. Um, like, for example, I look at my grandmother who was kind to people her whole life. And now she lives in a place where all her grandkids, three of her grandkids stay with her. A couple of all of us come visit her all the time. And like throughout her whole life, that's what she would always want. And I just feel like that lined up for her, whereas other people may want to retire rich. Like that's never been her thing. Um, so she's always been a caretaker. So, yeah, I just think you lean towards what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, I'm from Chicago, but I, but I want to say this. Uh, my Chicago friends would be mad at me if I didn't put a disclaimer. I grew up, when I was five years old, my, my mom and dad uh, moved with me, of course, to Evanston, Evanston, Skokie area. So I grew up in Skokie, Evanston area, down the street from Northwestern. Uh, not really down the street, but, you know, in that same area. So, um, so after I grew up in a very diverse, like, very, like, earthy, very liberal community. And when I went to, um, but even in that, you experienced, like, racism up the wazoo, especially back in the 80s and 90s. And then I went to Hampton um, and I got my degree in theater. And I said, you know what? I'm not ready for L.A. I'm not ready for New York yet. I'm not a New York person, by the way. I'm not. I, it's I, cold. I've grown, to, <laughs> I, it, I've grown to like New York as, you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, okay, I, I see what people like New York for, you know. But I'm I'm more of a L.A. person. Um, but I'm definitely a Chicago person. So I went back to Chicago because, you know, I knew I knew people, you know. Um, my uncle is Usini Eugene Perkins who is a world-renowned black playwright. Uh, he, he wrote some very, he, he was friends with August Wilson, like that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and so anyways, I went back to Chicago, got into the theater scene, worked my way up to Second City, and I was at Barrel of Monkeys, even though Barrel of Monkeys don't want to give me any credit. I was their first black ensemble member. But they, <laughs> but they treat me seriously. They, 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 they really shitted on me. They shitted on me for years. They didn't want to give me any credit. They didn't invite me to the reunions, but that's okay. And they, but then I, I told them about themselves, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh wait, hold up, we didn't know." They knew. They were very conscious. Of it. Oh yeah, they they were very conscious of it. But anyway, but I still give them love because there's still some people that I that I became friends with at um, working at Barrel of Monkeys who are now doing big things and they're amazing. And and I know some of them still. But anyway, so then I worked my way up to Second City, um, ended up understudying on the main stage for Claudia Michelle Wallace, loved my experience there. And speaking of law of attraction, when I was in high school, my theater teacher um, took us to Second City. And when I was watching the stage, I remember looking at the stage and saying, I could do this and I could do it better. And I'm going to end up being on that stage one day. And it didn't. And, and, you know, you know how you think of stuff and then you let it go. And, of course, years later, right before on my first performance on the main stage, I, right before it was time to get out, I mean, go out, I just I remembered that. And I was like, oh, my God. And so that's when I realized, I was like, this shit works. <laughs> so, um, but anyway. So I need a yeah, million um, dollars. I'm going to make a million dollars in three years. Just throwing Ashe. that out there. Ashe. So, yeah, so then I went um, – I, I went, I, uh, so, so yeah, so I ended up on, I, and of course I went through the conservatory at Second City, um, met some amazing people, Pip Lilly, Dre Robinson, who I work with right now, 
um, uh, on 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 this television show that we created um, and called Totally Becky. And um, yeah, and so like, I mean, amazing people I met, and and I, I started working for Congo Square Theater Company, um, and then yeah, 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 and we 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 we, cause you know we know that um, yeah, we have our individual projects. Like I have a podcast coming up called Black Becky Speaks, and I know everybody's like, gosh, all these Becky stuff, but yeah, I or Rebecca stuff, um, and. And so I have a Black Becky Speaks. Um, I was t- ten, one of ten women of color chosen out of thousands, tens of thousands of applicants uh, last year from at Spotify to attend an accelerator program. And I, that was a huge blessing. And I um, got to sit with some powerful p- women in the media. And um, I have a great, amazing mentor that they placed me with. And she is rooting me on as I get this podcast up and running. Um, and so, yeah, and, and and so working with Rebecca, the Rebecca show, working with Dre on Totally Becky. And, yeah, this is it's fun. Uh, yeah, and that's a pretty consistent notion uh, when people, when we have people on the podcast and they're fulfilling what they're supposed to do, they tend to say, like, yeah, it, it just fits. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, mm-hmm. did, did your, I forgot what you called him. Did he ever come and visit you like Mufasa? Like he, how Mufasa visited Simba? <laughs> like, uh, you know, he lives in you, you know, you know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Rebecca, um, why aren't you on stage? <laughs> well, actually, you know what, um, Baba Ifani Akintunde Ashe, uh, he, he actually, one of the last conversations I had with him, and I'm going to do my best not to get emotional. Um, he was upset with me because I I had, uh, I, I told him I was going to start, like, editing this script that I had written, like, years before. And he said, you know, you got you to gotta write. You got to start writing. He just could say, that's how you're going to get back on stage. You're just going to start writing. And so the last conversation, he's like, so, you know, what, what's going on with that script? And I said, oh, you know, I haven't had time. To get... And he said, Rebecca, this you're going to have a window of opportunity. You know, he said, Hollywood is about to change and it's going to be specifically for you. And if you don't take advantage of this, it's, it's, it's not going to be good. And so it was almost like, uh, like maybe a month later, uh, I was on my computer. I'd found out he had like, well, no, about uh, six weeks later. Cause two weeks earlier, he, I found out he passed away. And I was on my computer and you know how those ads come up on the side and it was this ad talking about a low residency program. And I was like, what's a low residency program, grad program. And so I looked it up and I was like, Oh, I could do that. Like one week out of every semester, go to the university and then do the rest online. Like, Oh, I think I could do that. And I said, Hmm, I wonder if there's a low residency for screenwriting. And it came up that university of Georgia had it. And then it also, and then I decided to apply. Now, I, I looked at other ones, but I applied to Georgia. And it was something about that website. Every time I go to University of Georgia website, I was like, I felt like I was at home. And I know it sounds weird, but it did. It was just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to apply to any of them. I'm just going to apply to UGA. And I did. And it was like, it was almost like when I walked on that campus after I got accepted, 
like it was almost like I was like all like the Babalao, my dad, my grandmother, all these people who had passed away who had poured themselves their knowledge into me and loved me and said oh I mean everybody's like Rebecca you're gonna be famous oh Rebecca you're gonna be successful oh Rebecca like and and I would always and I always knew that but I always had my self-doubt right I was like well maybe I'm crazy you know and they're like no but now I can tell you like when I stepped on that campus it was like I was like ah oh yeah I'm the shit like it was just and it was like that's it like I and now like I mean, that's how I feel like I feel like I'm like I, I'm just every day I am living I'm living the life like I just I, I love it even on bad days and I have to tell you I have to admit there's some days that I still get down there's some days that you know that I was like oh what the fuck am I I'm crazy like why am I doing this right you know um well, our goal is to um, our goal. Um, our goal is to to tour the show. Now we're both moms. We're both wives. Um, we and we both have excellent, very supportive husbands. Um, and if anybody wants to have us perform at a theater um, in their community, we would love to uh, come and, and perform it. If you want us to perform it at a university, we are game. And all you have to do is go to our website, therebeccashow.com, or uh, email us. Uh, you can email foxrebecca at gmail or rebeccajacksonartist at gmail. Uh, the, you're talking about the um, parent-teacher conference where, like, we're in the teacher, and, like, it's the, um, you know, parent-teacher conference, no curriculum's no good. Next thing that you know, you're going. Yeah, yeah. Back in time to do the things you should. Yeah. Um. It. It. We. Um. It's told from the perspective. Real. Okay. So what? What the root of the story is? My son, my black child, my beautiful, amazing black, very scientific. <laughs> yeah, my very scientific-minded black child. He in third grade. Uh, at a Wake County public school he for about a week he kept saying mom because I used to go to his field trips a lot and he would always say like mom you and then for this one particular field trip I couldn't go and he said mom no I, I, I think you really need to go to this field trip and I'm like no you're fine like oh, it's all good he's like no no my mom I, I think you need to go to this field trip and I was like well no you're good so he went and without me as a chaperone and we had a we used to have these awesome neighbors and our neighbor used to meet my boys at the bus stop with his son and walk all of them back and he knocked on my neighbor usually just you know my kids would just walk up to the door and come in the house and this time my neighbor was at my door and said uh my neighbor was black uh my neighbor is he's also a black man who loves being black and he said uh do you know what your son did today? I said, yeah, he went on a field trip. And he was like, um, show her what you got off that field trip. And so my son behind his back pulls out this Ziploc bag and in it was cotton. And you could tell it had been picked from actual, uh, the plant cotton. And I said, uh, yeah. Oh, and I'm not and, picking and so cotton. I looked, yeah, well, and, and so I looked and I said, what? And so and so my neighbor said, tell your mother what you, and he was not happy. He was like, tell your mother what you did in that field trip today. 
And he said, Mom, we pretended to be slaves and picked cotton. Oh, no. And, I, mm-hmm. and I'm I said, going straight to the school. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, what? And he said, we were reenacting slavery and we pretended to be slaves and we learned how to pick cotton. And my neighbor looked at me and said, my, my neighbor also knows. Um, by the way, I speak out. I, I, that's, it's, it's a blessing and it's also my curse. Because it's been, I've, I've been, I've been alienated out of spaces because I don't take no mess. And I speak out, I speak out very, very boldly against injustices. And so anyway, so my neighbor knows. Yeah, and so I, I did. And, and, and I went, I immediately got in my car. I drove around the corner to my son's school. And I think my principal knew that that was probably going to be a situation. So she avoided uh, the principal avoided me that night. Well, the next day I walked in. I was relentless. Walked in with my yoga pants and my hair all over my head. Um, and I walked in. <laughs> and I walked in with my ancestors behind me. And I basically told her that was that basically by any means necessary, I was going to make sure that that field trip never existed ever again. And I did. And I made a lot of fuss. I talked to uh, the superintendent of diversity and inclusion, who my husband happened to know. Um, and that's another thing about people, you know, what people don't know about me. I know a lot of people and I use my resources. And so I did and I, I fussed and I wrote an email, did a lot of CCing. <laughs> you know, you know, you know what an email is, 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 is going to kick, is going to kick people in the butt when you, when you, with your CC list on the email. <laughs> Like, you like I won't see, see. you know. Oh, and somebody so gonna know. Oh, somebody, somebody gonna learn today. And so, um, yeah, and so that's what happened. And then, um, and they stopped. They stopped the field trip. And um, yeah, yeah. And now they don't do that in Wake County Public Schools. And it becomes yeah. And then I told Rebecca about it. Rebecca got heated, and she was like, "Oh no." And I didn't think actually. That was one of those conversations that was just mom, mom. And then the next time, you know, we came to rehearsal, she was like, look at this. And I was like, oh. and also, at the, you know, and Rebecca's a teacher. So Rebecca was like, I, I get it. I get it from a white teacher's perspective of like why they were stupid enough to legitimize this field trip. I, I right. don't. I I don't. It's crazy to me. So, some, <laughs> it's crazy to me how sometimes, uh, like, even as a kid, I, I would think, like, oh, slavery didn't sound too bad. They were just mean to us. And sometimes, like, they whitewashed it so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah. And, and so, but I grew up in Chicago. So, you okay. know, it, it wasn't as whitewashed, but it still was whitewashed. It was like, yeah, it was real messed up. Okay, so now St. Patrick's Day. Oh yeah, yeah. They they taught us that the South was evil. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they they did. They were like, oh them, them Southerners. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, <laughs> it was, and especially because, like I said, I went to Evanston Skokie Public Schools. I went to District sixty five, and um, it was it was a bunch of white liberals who. Had, were former hippies, and they were like, you know, the South 
doesn't care about you <laughs> you know and they'll say but what they also didn't realize is they didn't care about us either you know because Talk they, about they it. ended it they you know they because they ended it they ended it with that they did they didn't they didn't tell you know they said oh those bad southerners right but they didn't say that slavery was in the north for 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 a long time you know slavery in new york that's why they call it the stock exchange okay so i'm about to break down some knowledge see and this is what see this is what they don't do like and see this is why this is you know northern white folks are not are just as are just as involved in systemic racism racism as any southerner um first of all the 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 slave ships the enslaved africans because we were not slaves we were enslaved <coughs> that's why i always check people when they be like slaves I'm like, Mm-mm. we were human right um and so anyway so when the slave ships would come in the enslaved africans were taken out and put in these dungeons down in lower manhattan and if you go to Lower Manhattan, ask any historian, are there jails in underneath um, in the bottom? And they'll tell you, yeah. And so they would put them up there. And then what they would do, and also along Wall Street, if you ever go to Wall Street, you'll see uh, in the cobblestone, you'll see that there are these wooden poles, right? And the wooden poles, what they would do is they, they cut them off. But they used to be high up and it used to form a wall because they would take the enslaved Africans and they would stand them on there. And that's how they created what they call They called the enslaved Africans stock because we weren't human. We were stock. Therefore, that's where all the money was then exchanged with the wealthy. Hence, you have the stock exchange. See, people don't see people don't talk about that. You see what I'm saying? You, you catch you did, you. did you feel me on that? You see what I'm saying? And so now we we don't, we we want to excuse New York. But but the all that Wall Street money, the reason why they call it Wall Street was because when they would line the enslaved Africans up, it created a wall. So that's where you would go to Wall Street to go buy a bunch of enslaved Africans. So when they're calling it Wall Street and they're calling it the stock exchange, and they're and they're and they're basing the entire um, not just the U.S. economy but the global economy on that area. It is rooted in the it's rooted in the the genocide the of of African people, our ancestors. So that's why I tell people you're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome for every beautiful thing that you have because off the backs of my ancestors you have wonderful things in this country and you are able you're able to go anywhere in the world and be this american right and, I don't, and it's all rooted into that and i don't think people realize that right like i i, yeah. I remember learning how much money was made like america like if you want to talk about the economic race and uh like where america was a powerhouse we weren't a powerhouse at first it wasn't until we got like five i think it was like five billion and that was five billion back in the day not five billion in our time it'd be a lot more now uh of free labor like 
it, 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 it allowed America to excel past all these European countries. Because it, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense for America to have uh, taken taken away from uh, a European country. Like, just be a small small little niche from a European country, then surpass it. The only reason they surpassed those European countries is because we, they got so much free labor. And, that, and that's why, like, I agree with you. I look around, I'm like, you're welcome. Yeah, hey. you're welcome. You're welcome. And and see, and this is where this is why to answer your question, Andrew. This is why, yes, you know, growing up in a very liberal area in the north, <clears throat> and I grew up upper middle class, right? And 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 there was there was I was I was privy to some of the evil of this country. But what I was not because still those white people still didn't want to say we are we have resources that you don't have simply because we are we have mistreated and continue to mistreat you because some of those same white people who were like oh you know it was really messed up what those southerners did right but some of those same white people who worked with my father and my father worked for the federal reserve bank he ended up working his way up to be over mergers and acquisitions for the midwest region he also helped to write the regulations for the entire banking system of the United States. My dad was an economic genius. And I'm not just saying that because he was my dad. I'm saying that because his colleagues said that on his at his wake. They pulled me aside and they were like, I don't think you understand the power of your father. My father was a very powerful man, a black man. Now, because of that, my dad worked seven days a week for almost 10 years for the Federal Reserve Bank because he knew as a black man he had to work harder, smarter, and he had to be better than everybody, right? And even then, for years, the Federal Reserve Bank passed him up continuously for promotions, right? Promotions that he deserved. He, he, would, he would train white men who would end up being his boss. Those bosses would come to him for answers and knowledge, right? So one day, a white woman, she quit the Federal Reserve Bank. She worked as general counsel for the Federal Reserve Bank. She called him and she secretly told him, she was like, Philip, they're purposely passing you up. It is rooted in racism. Luckily, the blessing of this white woman, she kept all those documents. She secretly copied them, sent them to my father. My father for one year had to be quiet while my mother at night would type up a, a huge document for a grievance that he eventually filed with the EEOC. He then submitted it within 24 hours because Federal Reserve Bank is so freaking evil because they know everything. Within 24 hours, they called him and they said, Philip, we had no idea you wanted to have a prom get be promoted. So within <laughs> really? the same amount of time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, mind you, my dad is writing the regulations for the bank. He's meeting with Alan Greenspan on a regular basis. They're picking his brain. They're picking his mind. My dad is giving his all. He's missing my volleyball games. He's missing my, my theater. He's missing everything. And he knows. And my dad was amazing at what he did. Uh, 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 training people who ended up being the president of, of different branches of, of the Federal Reserve Bank. Right? And... They had the nerve to say to him, we had no idea, Philip, you wanted to be promoted. When he finally sat down with the EEOC and the Federal Reserve Bank, 
he negotiated a job for life where they could never fire him as long as he didn't say anything. Now that my dad's dead, I can say that shit. Fuck you, Federal Reserve Bank. And so they did that. We'll say so it too. Fuck the Federal to Reserve. Fuck the Federal Reserve. And on top of now, my mother would be like, wait, they, they, my mother would say, wait, wait, because they still pay me. But anyway, so they, because my mom <laughs> still gets benefits from them because my dad died still being an employee. But what happened was, after that, they gave him the keys to the high, to the executive lounge. And my dad threw them back at him. And he said, I don't want to be in that fucking lounge because you never wanted me in the first place. So for the rest of the 90s, from I think about 91, 92, to when he died in 2003, my dad would come to work and whatever the fuck he My dad dressed really nicely, by the way. But he came to work, no tie. He came to work in cowboy boots. He came to work. He would come to the meetings. And he'd be like, fuck you, fuck you. And <laughs> and so he he had. he. I love your dad so much. <laughs> but but he still. But, and, and I want to stress this. I want to stress this. But he still did his job. He did it so well that when he died, they, they didn't know what the hell to do. And so. And so that's what I'm just saying. So it's just things. He's a like better that. man those than me. White people in the north, those white people in the north still did that. Yeah. I I gotta give a shout out to my father, and my father who. Now I'm definitely gonna get emotional with this. My father was such a fucking badass. I mean, my dad raised me, reared me. He. He he wanted a girl. He always and he would tell my mom. He was like, "I want a girl," you know. And so when I was born, he wanted one child and he wanted a girl. And uh, that's why this whole girl dad thing. I'm like, Ben had a girl dad. Please, that's nothing, right? And so raising when I was a little girl, my dad would sit me on his lap and teach me about macro and microeconomics, right? And he would he taught me how to shake a person's hand, and he would always say. Especially when you shake a man's hand, squeeze the shit out of it, Rebecca, and look at him sternly in the eye like you don't give a fuck about him. You know, and my dad, my dad taught me, and, and even when I would be weak sometimes, my dad would be like, what? What? Hell no. You know, I remember one time I was having some social problems, and I came home and I was like, Dad, you know, people are saying this about me and saying that about me. And he said, fuck, fuck them. And he said, Rebecca, I'm going to tell you something. When you're amazing, when you're great, when you're extraordinary, there are going to be people who don't like you just because you walked in the room. Who gives a fuck about them? You're in the room. Use it. You know what I'm saying? And so when I was like, and, and even then at 16 when he told me that, and I'll never forget what he, he was paying bills at the time, actually. And so um, and so I didn't, it, didn't, it didn't click until I got to college. And I was like, oh, so basically I shouldn't give a fuck what people think about it. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? As long as I'm in the room. And I and because when you're in the room, you've got to take advantage of that. You've got to take the opportunity because when you're in the room, it is your job to make enough room for somebody else to get in the room, right? And so I don't have time to be thinking about what people are talking about me because they're gonna hate on me. And and but because my dad, that was his thing. He would, my dad would snap on people in a second. Now again, it's not all that. That's not good all the time because sometimes it'd be embarrassing. But I have to tell you, I'm so blessed to have him as a father. Because he taught me not to take shit from anybody. And because of my father, and he was so crazy and an asshole, I'm not intimidated by anybody. Nobody. Like, it really, I, I admire people. I, I respect people and their status and the work that they've done. But I'm, I, nobody intimidates me. 
Yeah, um, at my dad's wake. Um, my dad's best friend that he was my dad's best friend since high school and actually ended up marrying my dad's sister and became my uncle. <laughs> but that's all another thing. <laughs> uh, my dad didn't my dad didn't like that too much. But okay. But um my uncle Charles uh at my dad's wake came up to me. And and by the way, I was doing really well at the time in my acting career when my when my dad passed away. Um and my uncle Charles came up to me and he said, the one of the last things that your dad told me is his fear was that you would quit acting because you walked into an audition, saw your competition, and left. And that sounds a lot like my dad. And so I was like, oh my gosh. And even now, mind you, at the time I was like 25, just a couple months from 26. And I was like, oh, that would never happen. Oh, never. And like I told you earlier in my story, right? I, I heard no from my agent when I wanted to go back after having two children gaining weight. And basically the acting world told me no. And I walked away and I walked away for eight years. And the whole time my husband kept reminding me. Now my husband never met my dad, but he knew the story. And he said, you're doing exactly what your dad told you not to do. Mm. And, uh, and, and, and just knowing my dad, and my dad, and by the way, my dad loved my creative side. I, I, played, I played concert piano, I played violin, um, I danced, all this stuff. And so my dad, lo- he would all, I mean, he would ask, oh, play, you know, play Beethoven, play, and my dad just sat there. He would, it, 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 I, I, my dad was an asshole. So when, when I would see his heart, it was always when I was performing. That's when I would see that he was like, he was kind so there were so when I got away from that I could just picture my dad being hurt and because that was you know I was that was his heart he knew that I was born to be an entertainer I was born to be an artist and um yeah oh yeah oh definitely those eight years I feel like I didn't honor his legacy my dad worked hard at the Federal Reserve Bank so that I could have a privileged-ass, bougie-ass, black, light-skinned, long-haired life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he, he, he worked hard, and I, 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 I ignored that. And I fought, and, and, and I, I, was, I did exactly what his fear was. But luckily, like I said, the Babalao came over into my life, and he woke me up and I can tell you and yeah it's it's fear has got to be eliminated and how you eliminate fear is you you have to love yourself and do what you are divinely meant to do once you do those two things you won't fear shit because you know, oh, I'm meant to be here. And nothing is going to take anything. And you have to stop thinking in lack. you got to stop thinking, oh, there's not enough water. Oh, there's not enough food. Oh, there's not enough jobs. Oh, there's not enough housing. Shut the fuck up. I, 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 we got to stop thinking like that. There's enough for everybody. So when you start thinking in abundance, when you start... Loving yourself, 
and, and and you you do what just feels good in your life fear will start to be eliminated and you guys will just be able to you know well i don't know we'll just be able to help Andrew raises black babies. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to count that as your motivational speech. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we normally okay, have brother. people do a motivational speech, but that uh, that counted. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. You, you guys, literally, you guys are doing, uh, you guys are making, uh, truly, you guys are elevating um, our, our, our people. You're, you're elevating everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, cool. Oh, you guys take care of yourself. All right, thank and, you and, so and much. Fill your cups, you guys. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast all the way through. If you've enjoyed this, please like and subscribe or just let us know what we can do to improve your listening experience. Thank you, little mistakers.